Several weeks ago, we were looking at a huge debate Jesus was having with the Pharisees, which I believe he won hands down. Uh, But then he turns from that debate to the crowds and to his disciples to warn them about the hypocrisy and the false religion of those Pharisees and about false religion in general. And some of that warning continues on over into Matthew 24. But in the part of Matthew 24 we'll look at today, really, we are looking into the future. We're looking into the future through Jesus' eyes, which is a great place to be. Now, I have to be honest, there are many times when I'm not so sure I want to know the future. Because I just think about the state of our world. I know as you get older, difficult things happen. I see a lot of it at the nursing home. And sometimes I just think, Lord, do I really want to know the future? But then on the other hand, I do want to know the future very much for two main reasons. One is I want to be ready. And two is I want to have hope. And I believe for those very two reasons, Jesus gives us a peek into the future in Matthew chapter 24. So we've got a bit of a journey to go. Uh, Many people would call Matthew 24 a miniature book of Revelation because it encapsulates the whole thing in in these 31 verses we're going to look at together this morning. So uh, put on your work boots. We've got a little ways to go this morning. Let's pray together and we'll dive in. Lord of glory, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Lord, thank you for those who have already led us this morning, Lord. Uh, Scott with announcements. Daniel with some thoughts about witnessing and our prayer time. Thank you, Lord, for Kim and her gift of music and for her leading us in our time of worship, Lord. Thank you that we have a great and mighty God who is worthy of all of our worship. And we do pray uh, today, Lord, that you'll be exalted in every way, in every thought we have, Lord, in every piece of our lives and how we live our lives. We want you to be exalted. And now, Lord, as we open your word and look into the future, we do pray that you'll be our teacher, Lord, that you will do the things say the things that we need to hear, Lord, in each of our lives. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. All right, dive in to verse 1 with me. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. So if you want to go ahead and bring up that first slide, Noah, that'd be great. Okay, so here's a little diagram of the area surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on the top of a mountain, pretty much. And they call this the Temple Mount. And that little rectangle you see right there represents the temple. Okay, doesn't do it justice. It is an enormous building Thousands and thousands of people could have fit in there. And you probably remember just a few short weeks ago, 
Jesus came to this temple. They came from Bethpage. He stopped here at Bethpage and sent two of his disciples on ahead, told them to get, find that donkey with a little colt. And then he comes into Jerusalem, offering himself to them as their king. Goes into that temple, overturns the money changers. You're making my, my father's house a robber's den. It should be a house of prayer. So today, he and his disciples are leaving the temple. He's been having this big debate with the Pharisees, and the disciples are so impressed with the buildings. They're like, have you noticed? This is incredible architecture. This is so beautiful. And just a quick side note before we go on, you know, sometimes our world can look really impressive to us. I remember when I was a kid, in, in uh, I think we were in grade school. Anyhow, we went to Smithsonian Institute. Blew me away. But we have to be careful how impressed we are with the world. Because as we're going to see in this chapter, our world is on a collision course with God's judgment. Which is part of exactly what Jesus points out in the very next verse. He said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And in a very few short years after this, the Romans come in, 70 AD, judge that nation and tear that temple down. Pretty much can't find another stone on top of another, just the way Jesus said it would be. Well, this really peaks the disciples' curiosity. And that's what, because they come up with this question in the very next verse. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So as you know, we've been talking about this. Jesus was going into the temple teaching every day this last week of his life. But then he's leaving every night. So here they've gone out to the Mount of Olives. They're out in this area somewhere, probably camping under the stars. And the disciples come up to him. They're so curious. When is all this going to happen? Will you tell us? And so Jesus launches into this teaching. We call it the Olivet Discourse because they're here on the Mount of Olives. And uh, if someone would hand these out for me, I want to go over this chart real quick. I just want you to have a quick look at this because Jesus is talking about the future. And when people talk about eschatology or the study of the future in the Bible, there are a lot of different ideas about it, a lot of different takes on it. Because basically what you're doing is taking all of the prophecy from the Bible, which is a fairly large book, not one of the smaller books at my study at home, and putting it all together and deciding how do all of these pieces fit together. So the chart that I've given you was put together by a Bible teacher who is a favorite of mine named J. Vernon McGee. And he represents a very conservative position when it comes to Bible prophecy. Unless we can see a 
clear reason to do otherwise, we interpret the Bible literally. So we believe that all of God's promises and prophecies towards Israel are still going to take place. They didn't get wiped out. And things are going to happen basically the way the Bible says that they're going to happen. So as we go through this chapter um, and talk about these things, just understand a lot of Christians may not agree about this. And I'm not going to be looking at all of the different angles. I just want to take you through this journey that is similar to what uh, most conserv- many conservatives believe. But just look quickly at the chart before we dive back into the chapter. On the left side of your chart, the Olivet Discourse. Okay, there, that, That's where we are in history. In less than a week, we come to the cross. Jesus is tried, convicted, crucified, buried. Three days later, he rises from the grave. He begins to appear to his disciples. And then you see that line going up. He ascends into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, he's taken up before their eyes up into heaven. He promises to come back the same way he left here. Not many days after that, the Holy Spirit comes. The disciples are all in the upper room. They are praying. They are fasting. God, send your promise. Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes They begin speaking in other languages. And people who have come to Jerusalem from all these different countries hear them speaking in their own language. And they are astonished. And so they give special attention to them. 3,000 of them believe. They put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And the church is born. And so you see there, right next to Pentecost and to the right, it says the church. And this is the time period you and I are living in. We are living in the church age. And as you look at this chapter, I believe that verses 4 through 8 are talking about the church age. So we'll come back to the chart, but start with me at verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. So before Jesus launches into his discussion of the future, his very first sentence is, don't be led astray. Don't be tricked. And if you remember, ever since the very beginning, Jesus has been warning us, warning us about this over and over again, way back in the Sermon on the Mountain. He was saying, watch out for false teachers. They come to you like they are wrapped in sheep's clothing. They're just shiny and pretty. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And over and over again through Matthew, Jesus has been warning us about this. And dear friends, it's true. False religion is all around us. It is everywhere. As a matter of fact, many people are so confused by it now, and I think this is part of Satan's strategy, but they are so confused by it that they think, well, I don't know if any of them is correct. 
or they think they're all leading to the same path, even though they contradict one another drastically in drastic ways. But it's all around us. Right up here in the town of Louisa, we now have a brand new temple that's been built. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormon temple. There's another giant one that's been built right over here uh, on 33. As you're going into the town of Richmond, they claim to be a church. Claim to be Christians. They invite Christians. They invite Christian pastors. I got a letter from this church. If you can call it a church. I wouldn't. But this Mormon temple building up in Louisa, I got a letter from them inviting Christian pastors, hey, let's all work together. But friends, they do not believe or teach the things that the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, watch out. They are going to do everything that they can to lead you astray. That is his first warning. He goes on uh, in verse 6. He says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So Jesus describes what's going on in our world. We're experiencing it right now in the church age as a woman going into labor. And most of you probably know at least a little bit about that. You know, mom's gotten really fat. No, no offense intended. And her time is almost here. And then one day she's like, oh, that was strong. And then about 20 minutes later, it happens again. And keeps progressing. And then it's every 15 minutes. And then it's every 10 minutes. And then it's every five minutes. And often before it's over, it almost sometimes seems like, as it's been described to me, that one contraction almost didn't end before the next one started. And sometimes they were like multiple peaks where they're coinciding with one another and it gets intense. And this is how Jesus describes what's coming on our earth with more frequency and with greater strength, we see these things happening. And dear friends, this is, of course, our world's history. And it's getting more and more intense. I mean, Ukraine's been invaded, and they're still being invaded. Israel has been invaded, and 12, what was it, 1,200 at least people killed or hostages taken. They are not allowed to retaliate, many people would say. Wars and rumors of wars. I cannot tell you how many times in the last several months I've heard, I think we're on the verge of a third world war because of everything that's happening, because of the foolishness of our current leadership. 
It is happening. And we're hearing of famines and earthquakes and all the things that Jesus is describing. He says, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then I believe in verse 9, he turns a corner when he says, then they will deliver you, deliver you to tribulation. And so where we would be on our chart is at the great tribulation period, the beginning of that. That would mean in, the, in between those two verses, the church leaves the planet. And if you're looking there at your chart, it's called the parousia, the great catching away. Jesus comes in the clouds, but the, the world in general doesn't see him. It's called, we call it the rapture. This is the point in history when if you are genuinely a Christian, this is the day you're waiting for. This is the day I'm waiting for. I believe all the pieces are in place to where it could be today. And your feet could leave this planet and you'd be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, to be with the Lord forever. But what will happen when the church is taken away from here? Who's Jesus talking to in this verse? He's talking to his Jewish disciples. He says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So go, go on to that next slide if you would, Noah. So <clears throat> can you all find Israel up there? Give you a second. So Israel's this tiny little pink sliver right here on the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's surrounded by Arab nations. The Arab nations' verbal as well as written goal is the destruction of Israel. That's what they say. I personally think it's a miracle that Israel's in existence. Just give you a, a few of the numbers. Israel... At, at least when I got these numbers, had 9.2 million people. One point, how many was it? 1.9 million of those are Arabs living in Israel. So just over 7 million Israelis. Arab nations, 453 million. Arab nations' territory size, 650 times the land mass of Israel. Unbelievable. We're already seeing the ramp up to this in our day. Right? There's protests even around America about Israelis defending themselves and trying to stamp out Hamas. What's going to happen the day the church leaves the planet? I'm telling you the very next day, Verse 9 is going to happen. Then they will deliver you through tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. By all nations. This is the place Israel will find themselves. And he goes on to describe that more. Go ahead to that next slide, uh, if you would, Noah. So, now find Israel. 
What a miracle this country's in existence. I believe a lot of it, it's just God's protection. Of course, partially it's Christians. Israel, if you can't see, I can't even see it. It's got to be right there on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. All the nations. Now, I didn't even put half of them up here. But when the Christians leave the planet, the nations are going to be against Israel. More things are going to happen. Verse 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. In other words, it's going to ramp up even more. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now, some people are going to be turning to Christ during this time period. I believe there will be a ton of people who are like, what happened to the church? And a ton of people who aren't going to buy the lie that it was an alien invasion. And they're going to remember what grandma told them about the rapture. And they're going to turn to the Lord. So many people are going to be finding the Lord. Even though the church has left the planet. And Jesus says the one who endures to the end, who doesn't give up their faith in the great God, will be saved. The gospel is still going to be going out. God's going to make sure of that. Look at verse 14. It says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. <clears throat> Don't have time to go through, obviously, the whole book of Revelation this morning. But I do want you to see this. If you'd keep your finger here, turn to Revelation chapter 7 very quickly. Uh, in, in the book of Revelation, we're getting seen, both scenes from earth and scenes from heaven of what's taking place from a heavenly perspective and what's taking place from an earthly perspective. But as the church leaves the scene, God is not going to be left without a witness. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. In the verse before this, um, God had just said, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we've sealed the bondservants of our God. And so then in verse 5, he goes on to pick from every tribe, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. All 12 of the tribes, he chooses 12,000 witnesses to go out into all the world. Drop down to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white lobes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So these witnesses are going to go out during the tribulation period. Many are going to find the Lord. Many 
possibly most, will be martyred and they'll be standing in that scene in heaven. But God's going to be supernaturally protecting his witnesses. One of the encouraging things, one of the things we need to keep in mind as we think about the future is that the more wickedness abounds and the more deception goes out, the more, I don't know, miraculous God's witness to his plan of salvation becomes. Here the church has been removed. He seals 144,000. At one point in the book of Revelation, the animals, the eagles, are carrying the message. It, just be, it, it will become greater and greater. <clears throat> but the Antichrist is now on the scene. And the Antichrist wants to put an end to this. To describe what's been going on simultaneously that we haven't been able to talk about here that we see from other places in the Bible, the day the church left the planet, probably the next day, uh, as the world is in chaos and as the world is hating Israel and ready to destroy it, this very eloquent, very handsome, or beautiful, I think it's probably a man because uh, it, you, the Bible uses that pronoun. But he comes on the scene and he says, I'll fix all your problems. Just let's set up, we'll have a one world system and we will make peace. We will make peace with Israel. We will let them build their little temple. I mean, you can't even see those guys over there. They're not going to hurt anybody. Just let them build their little temple. We will make peace with Israel. And then we will run the world however we see fit. And I will help you have peace. And I will solve your problems. And so this one world ruler comes into power. And he makes a covenant with Israel, a seven-year covenant. But he breaks that covenant. The Bible never tells us exactly why, but I believe it may be because of the thousands who are becoming Christians as these witnesses go out. And he thinks, I've got to put a stop to this. And so then verse 15 comes into play. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Back in the book of Daniel, we are given a description of this, and this powerful leader breaks his covenant with Israel, goes into their temple, sets himself up as God. And Jesus is saying, The day that happens, run. Run. Don't go back to get your coat. Pray that it's not winter. Pray that you are not carrying a child. But run. Because it's all coming. And he is going to be after Christians. And he is going to be after Jews. I believe there's a special place that they run to. And God will still be protecting 
them. Because there are going to be those who will endure to the end. But keep going in verse 20. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. A great tribulation. Now, friends, if you've gone through, we went through the book of Revelation together. I'm hoping maybe you remember some of, some of that as we're talking about this. But this great tribulation is not just going to be coming from the Antichrist. Some of it will. Satan will be in full view at that point, And he will have another one of his pawns in play. And they'll actually be doing miraculous things if they can to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But most of this great tribulation is actually coming from the God of glory. He's pouring out his wrath on the earth. If you go through the book of Revelation, the whole outline of the book revolves around seven seals. At the beginning, near, near the beginning of Revelation, you come out with this book. It's, it's wrapped up with seven seals. At first, John is weeping because they cannot find anyone worthy to open the seals. But then the lamb comes out, and he's been found worthy. And so as he opens each seal in the book of Revelation, more things happen. God allows Satan more free reign. More things happen. When you get to the seventh seal, you find inside of it, there are seven trumpets. And as each trumpet sounds, God's wrath is being poured out. When you get to the seventh trumpet, inside of it, there are seven bowls, it says specifically, of the wrath of God. That He is pouring out on the earth because of mankind's wickedness and rebellion and rejection of all that is holy. And dear friends, we are seeing, not as if we hadn't had seeds in the past, but we are just seeing the seeds of all this wickedness and all this rebellion. I was reading another article about it recently, about these men and women who want to just become nulls. They just want to become nulls. They're not going to be a man. They're not going to be a woman. They're just going to all be sewn up and be a null. It's the seeds of rebellion against God. The Antichrist himself is going to try to change times and seasons. I think he wants to get rid of seven-day week. Why? Because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. They want to get rid of any tiny thing that would remind them of the presence of the glory of God. And he is going to pour out his wrath. That is the great tribulation it's being described here it will be verse 21 a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will unless those days had been cut short no life would have been saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short then if anyone says to you behold here is the christ 
or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Satan is going to empower one of these uh, false prophets to do mighty miracles and try to lead more people astray. Jesus says, behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, friends, you won't miss it. You don't have to worry about missing it. Because everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. Verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. There's been a lot of debate about that verse. But I believe it simply refers to the battle of Armageddon. And you've probably heard of this, but when right before the Lord returns, there's going to be a great final battle as all these nations here gather against Israel. And they are flooding down into Israel, filling the land. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus is coming with, his, with the armies of heaven. And he invites the birds of prey to come to a feast. I believe that's probably what this verse is talking about. But he goes on to describe it more in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And so, going back to your chart, you see the arrows coming back down, and the crown... The second coming of Christ. That's what's being described there. The Lord Jesus is going to return. This time he's not going to be riding on a humble donkey. This time he's going to be riding on a powerful white stallion. And he will come as a conquering king. Why is prophecy so confusing sometimes? Excuse me? It is overwhelming. The church was hidden in the Old Testament. If you put your hand on this chart, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the coming of Christ for His church, if you put your hand there and go, that's what it looked like in the Old Testament. They saw the, the Messiah's coming to be both as deliverer and as king. As a matter of fact, Thousands of Jews still see it that way. They don't think Christ was it. I think it's a major mistake. I think they are missing obvious prophecies from their own scriptures. We have a neighbor who's Jewish, and we actually read to her. We were over there, and she was you know, kind of debating with us, and we read to her from the book of Isaiah, and she said, where'd you get that? That's not in my Bible. We said, oh, yeah, it is. Isaiah chapter 53. It's pretty clear. But that, that's, they didn't see it because it was hidden in the Old Testament. 
And now Jesus Christ is helping us see a lot of those things. But that day, everybody is going to see him. There won't be any missing it. As a matter of fact, it says that the tribes of the earth will mourn. I think they know. And when they see him coming, they'll know the gig is up. As some people used to say. Verse 31, And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Jesus is going to go and bring all who, who have faith in him at that point, who are still on the earth, who weren't martyred or destroyed by some of, that, some of those fearful events. By the way, he's also going to be collecting the wicked. And he's going to judge the earth and set up his millennial kingdom. We don't get into that in this chapter, but that's the next thing on your chart. He will reign on the earth for 1,000 years. Why did Jesus go into all of this? I believe for two reasons. One, he wants us to be prepared. And two, he wants us to have hope. He wants us to know that he's in control. That he is going to judge wickedness. That he is going to rescue his people. He has no problem holding you and me in the palm of his hand. And we're going to a better place. And he also wants us to be prepared. As a matter of fact, the next chapter and a half, basically, parable after parable, we'll be going through them together. But he says, be ready. Be ready. The parable of the fig tree is the very next one. Be ready. This is coming. Be ready. And today, I just, I just want to encourage us all and you know, encourage us to be soul winners. To be going out and helping others find the Savior. Helping others be ready. Asking the question, have you made peace with God? You know, this is not going to go on forever. This terrible direction that our world is headed in, God is going to make all things new. So be ready, have hope, be about His business, be bold, be courageous. Like those 144,000 witnesses, you know, I think we ought to have a sign-up sheet. Maybe get our own seal on our foreheads. Maybe we could bear a headband instead or something. But I think God just wants us to, to rise up and proclaim his, his name and His love. Because He is the King of love. Please pray together with me. Great God of glory, I just thank You so much for the Word of God. I thank You, Lord, that uh, You have promised us over and over and over again that You are going to make all things new. Lord, maybe we don't understand all the details exactly. Lord, I believe... Very sincere Christians see some of these things differently. But Lord, we all believe you're going to make all things new. We all believe, Lord, wickedness will not win the day. We all believe, Lord, that you gave your life as our substitute so we can be forgiven and be made new. 
Lord, I pray that whoever is listening to this message, that they will take that to heart. and Lord, that they will turn to you in repentance and faith, giving you their heart, asking for your forgiveness, and for a brand new life. Lord, how we thank you for this time together, how we thank you for your word. Uh, guide our, our remaining time here, Lord, as we turn our attention even now to you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.